0: Um, Thank you again for your welcome here. It's been a pleasure to be able to uh, come and visit um, from time to time over the last couple of months. And um, as Sam said, um, I think most of you you have been here on previous weeks, but for anyone who hasn't, over the last several times that I've been here, I've been um, working my way through the heroes of the faith, Uh, that we find listed for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be taking a look uh, this morning at Abraham, who is the uh, latest in that list. Um, And so I want to uh, start for us just by reading um, the part of Hebrews 11 that refers to Abraham. So if you can open up your Bibles with me again to Hebrews chapter 11... And we'll read from verse 8 through to verse 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 19. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version this morning. So we read there about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Amen. This is God's word. Let's just bow our heads once more and ask him to bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that through it you speak to us. We pray that you would do so this morning. We pray that you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts for good To give encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. Strengthening where there needs to be strengthening. Comfort where there needs to be comfort. Rebuke where there needs to be rebuke. Exhortation where there needs to be exhortation. Cause your word to bear its good fruit in each of our hearts, we pray. Give me the words to speak so that everything I say would be what you would have me to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so as I say, we've been going through this series, series looking at the heroes of the faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. And today we've come to Abraham. Now, when you read your Bible, I'm sure you've recognised that there are some people in the Bible who are more significant than others. Um, and we've seen that some of those others have been already listed for us as heroes of the faith as well. I mean, we've, we've looked at Abel, for example, and, for, and we've looked at Enoch, two men about whom, when we looked at them, we said, you know, we don't actually know a whole lot about these two men. We have this little bit recorded about each of them. Nevertheless, they were listed as heroes of the faith and we were able to think about why. But when you come to Abraham, that's not the case. When you come to... Abraham, you're coming to consider someone who's probably one of the most significant four or five figures of the Old Testament. He's very significant indeed. In fact, or in particular, if we want to know the answer to one of the most important questions we can ever ask, how does God deal with us? How does God choose to relate to to us, How does God choose to relate to me and to you? If we want to understand what the Bible teaches about that, we have to consider Abraham. The authors of the New Testament did that. In the New Testament, we find the authors of those books constantly referring us back to Abraham. God's promises to Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham, especially... God's acceptance of Abraham because Abraham believed in him, when the authors of the New Testament want to explain to us how God deals with us, they go back to Abraham and they say, well, here is how God dealt with Abraham, therefore, this is how God deals with us. And so Abraham, in particular, is is held up in the New Testament as a kind of prototype, as as a kind of a, a father figure of faith, if you like. If we want to understand what faith is all about, we have to look at Abraham. And so it's not at all surprising to find him listed here as one of these heroes of the faith. And we could, of course, very easily spend several weeks just looking at Abraham's life. We're not going to do that. We're going to deal with him in just one sermon, but you could do that. Uh, But we're just going to focus this morning on several areas that the author of Hebrews highlights for us, the author of Hebrews 11. And, And those several things that we're going to look at, that we find in verses 8 to 19 of Hebrews 11, we're going to look at Abraham's going out, Abraham's obeying, Abraham's trusting and Abraham's waiting. His going out, his obeying, his trusting, and his waiting. The first is going out. We read there in verse 8 of Hebrews 11 by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, we read about that. Um, Alon read that for us back in Genesis chapter 12. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. And verse 4 of that section said, so Abram so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. God told him to go And he went. Now, it's easy to read that and not really appreciate just what trust in God that involved. This was a very big deal. I think of when my grandfather migrated from Holland to Australia in 1953. You know, um, my dad was born uh, during the Second World War in occupied Holland... And, and Europe was a wreck following World War Two. Europe was a wreck. Um, in Holland, there had been um, quite heavy fighting in various parts of the country, in particular in the area around Arnhem, which wasn't too far from where my father was born in Apeldorn. And, and, and so after the war, life was very difficult in Europe. And so when countries like... Canada and Australia opened up their borders, opened their doors to migrants and said, come on in, leaving their home countries, if you lived in somewhere like Holland or Germany or um, any of the other countries of Europe that, where there had been heavy fighting, leaving those countries to come and to, to start a new life in Australia was, was not too difficult a decision to make. But that's not the way it was with Abraham. In fact, with Abraham, it was just the opposite. He was a rich man. He had a substantial household. He had a great deal of livestock. He had many servants. He would have been able to live in peace and comfort and respectability and and, and be a a well-known figure in the community in Haran, wealthy and well-respected for the rest of his life. But God calls him to leave all that behind. Go out. Go to a place that I'll show you. He doesn't even know where he's going to go. Um, The author of Hebrews makes that very clear for us. Go somewhere that I'll show you. I'm not telling you where just yet. Um, But he goes. See, for my grandparents, when they migrated from Holland, they had little to lose and much to gain. Abraham, though, he had much to lose, and humanly speaking, at least, he had little to gain. But he went. He went, in particular, having this, having God's promise. God promised back in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, he says, go out, and then he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, when Abraham goes out, he doesn't know where he's going, but he does have that. He does have this promise that God has made to him, and he goes out on the strength of that promise. He trusts the word of God and he steps out by faith. This is why he's said to go by faith. And that's the first lesson that we have to learn from Abraham about our own faith. We have to take God at his word. We have to take God at his word. We have to trust what God says. We have to trust that he means it. And we have to be willing to step out and follow him in faith. Now, I trust that I'm not telling you anything that you've not heard a lot of times before. You know, I, we, we might well think, yes, yes, of course, we all know that. that that's obvious. Well, that's, that's basic. It is obvious and it is basic and, and we do know those things in theory, don't we? But then there comes the time when we actually have to act on our faith. There comes the time when we have to obey God, when we have to follow Christ, even although the path doesn't seem very clear, even although we're not quite sure where he's taking us. We don't always get given the luxury of knowing where we are going, what what the outcome is to be. We don't always have the luxury of being able to predict with some certainty how things are going to work out. In fact, you know, I, I guess I'm in the older half of the, of the congregation now. My children certainly like to tell me so. Um, you know, the older you get, the more you will know that life didn't work out exactly the way you thought it was going to. Things didn't go the way that you thought they would. Your plans that you had and and, and the fond ideas that you had in your teens and in your 20s about, about how life was going to be for you, the things that would happen next, how many of those things actually worked out exactly as you thought? Not so many. I think, as I say, the older you get, the more you find that Yeah, there was a turn here that I didn't expect and there was a diversion there that went completely in the opposite direction and really, it's all been completely different to what I expected. That's our experience in life. We don't get to predict how things will work out. And yet God often calls us to go anyway, to go and do things anyway without that knowledge. He calls us, if you like, to go without safety nets, if I can put it that way. we, We live in a society that has a lot of safety nets. I've lived in different parts of the world and I can tell you that we are one of the most safety netted cultures there is. It kind of drives me nuts sometimes, to be honest. But we do. We, we, are a, we are a culture that loves its safety nets. Whenever there's an election, one of the points of discussion will be whether so the safety nets should be modified, and if so, how should they be modified? What should we do with Medicare? What should we do with pensions? What should we do with the welfare safety net? And, and, and everybody's got an opinion on all those things, because... People worry when the safety nets are being changed. Nobody likes uncertainty. Everybody likes to know that the safety nets are there. And we're always encouraged to get more and more safety nets, get insurance for this, get insurance for that, get insurance for everything. People like to know that if they do fall, there's going to be a net to catch them. And and there's nothing wrong with any of that in a sense, except... That God very, very often is going to call you to step out in faith not knowing whether there's a safety net there. He's going to call you to do that. He doesn't promise to show us the safety nets. Very often the only safety net he offers us is his word. His word, his promises... And he expects us to step out in faith, taking risks, humanly speaking, on the basis of nothing more than his word, his command. Step out in faith and trust me. I'm not telling you how it's going to work out necessarily, but do that anyway. We have to be prepared, like Abraham, to follow God wherever he would lead us, whether or not we have some idea of where that is. And so Abraham does that. He goes out. And then secondly, there's Abraham's obeying. Because the thing is that sometimes that journey of stepping out can be very difficult. Sometimes it's hugely difficult. And here again, Abraham's an exceptional example for us. We read in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 18, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up, Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Alon read for us that extended account of that there in in Genesis chapter 22. And and you remember the story. God tells Abraham, take Isaac to Mount Moriah, offer him up as a burnt offering. Now now the actual words are Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's language that makes it very clear that God knows exactly what he's asking. God knows the enormity of what he is asking. And he's asking it anyway. So what does Abraham do? He goes. It might have been hard to pack up all his goods and leave Haran. But surely this journey to Mount Moriah was infinitely harder. But he goes. He he doesn't procrastinate. He doesn't hope that you know, there's going to be a message that will come tomorrow or the day after tomorrow let's say, oh, I was just kidding. He doesn't do a Jonah and go in the opposite direction. He goes. He doesn't try to argue with God even. On other occasions, you might remember that Abraham does try to argue with God or at least bargain with God when, it's, when God's talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And he he, he bargains, you know, he says, what if there's 50 people there? Would you let the city be free for the sake of the 50? How about 40? How about 30, 20, 10? How about, you know, how about 10? But this time, God's been so clear, so unequivocal. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even try to plead God's previous promises. God, you promised that in Isaac these blessings would be given to me. How's it going to happen? He doesn't try in any way to get out of this horribly difficult thing that God's commanded him to do. He just steps out and he does it. They get, he gets up, takes a few servants, they make the journey to Moriah When they get close he leaves the servants behind and he takes the wood himself, he takes the fire in his hand, he takes his son, he's got everything he needs with him and they go to the place and then he builds the altar and he puts the firewood in place and he takes his son and he binds him and he lays him on the altar and he takes the knife and he raises the knife to slay his son. He is ready to obey. He doesn't understand. He can't see even how this could possibly be consistent with everything else that God has already said to him. He can't see how this possibly could be furthering God's kingdom. He can't see what blessing could possibly come from this. Still, he is ready to obey. Now, that's faith in action, isn't it? Faith that is worked out in that kind of obedience. You know, it's one thing to obey when we know and approve of the path that our leader is taking us on. Our leader says, we're going to go and do this and that. And we go, yes, that, that seems exactly right. Yes, that is exactly what I would do too. Yes, let's go do that. Let's go and do this. What now? No, 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 we should go and do that. No, no, we're going to do this. No, 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 that can't be right. It, it's easy to follow when we agree. When we don't agree, it's a completely different story, isn't it? When, when we're told to do things, when God tells us to do things that, left to ourselves, we would never dream of doing, when, when we're told to act Opposite, completely opposite to our own personal inclinations. And most especially, to follow a leader when to follow him requires us to sacrifice those things that are most precious, most dear to us. That's a whole other kind of obedience, isn't it? And yet, Jesus is crystal clear that this is exactly the degree of commitment that he requires of us. Luke chapter 14 verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus did not mean that these people are to be hated in the sense of disliking them. No, he meant that we are to be prepared to hate them in the way that Abraham was prepared to hate Isaac. Not that he wished him harm, but that he was prepared to give even him up. If that, even although he loved him so dearly, if that was what it took for him to be obedient to God. See, Jesus is saying to us that there is nothing at all, nothing at all that we have the right to withhold from God, nothing at all that we have the right to say to God, no, that is too much for you to ask of me. There's no point at which we may say that to God. If we have to give up our position, if we have to give up our possessions, if we have to give up our friendships, even if we have to give up those we love most in the world, Jesus' words and Abraham's example make it clear to us that if we're truly to follow him, we must still obey. That's what faithful obedience looks like. I have a book at home. Actually, it's more true to say that I had a book at home. I lent it to someone and I can't find it. Um, At least that's what I think happened to it. But it's it's by a woman named Joanne Shetler. She um, spent 20 years in the Philippines and she translated the New Testament into one of the local languages there. And it's a very interesting book. One of its earlier chapters is titled I Let My Dreams Die. I let my dreams die. And, and she talks in that chapter about the internal struggle that she had when she realised that what God seemed to be calling her to do was to go and to live in a faraway place and do Bible translation. And she was like, I don't want to do that. She had dreamed of a career in nursing and she dreamed of a beautiful farmhouse on rolling hills in her home area of Southern California But she couldn't have those things and do the work that she was becoming increasingly convinced God wanted her to do. And and so she had this internal struggle until finally she says, after months of struggle, I gave in. And I finally told God, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it even if I hate it. I said goodbye to my farmhouse, my career, my family, everything I had always wanted... I let my dream die. See, that's acting by faith, isn't it? Even when it hurts. Obeying even when it hurts. And, you know, if if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, this is the degree of commitment that Christ requires of his people. Jesus was very clear. And Abraham is this very clear example to us, this illustration of this very thing. If necessary, he was ready to even give up his son, Isaac. And we must ask ourselves, to what extent am I truly prepared to follow Christ? To what extent am I truly prepared to obey God in faith? Well, okay, but then there's not just obedience. The third thing was with, that I said we would speak of is Abraham's trusting. He didn't just obey even when it hurt. He also trusted that God knew what he was doing, even if Abraham himself couldn't see how. We read about that in, in verse 19 of Hebrews 11. It's a wonderful common, commentary on Abraham's part from the author of Hebrews much later. Verse 19 of Hebrews 11, he says that though he was willing to give up Isaac, he did so trusting, quote, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, Abraham had complete trust in God and in God's promises, He knew that nothing, literally nothing, is impossible with God. He believed that implicitly. And so when God commanded him to sacrifice Isaac, when God commanded him to do something which to Abraham appeared impossible to reconcile with God's promises, he nevertheless trusted that somehow even although he could see how God was still going to fulfill those promises. God's promises had previously involved Isaac, and now he's being told to sacrifice Isaac, and he trusted that somehow God was still going to fulfill those promises. And the author of Hebrews tells us he trusted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also receives him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed that God would fulfill his promises. He trusted in God even when he himself couldn't see how. And that trust was vindicated, as we know. At the last possible moment, God prevents Abraham from striking that blow that would kill his son. He provides a ram as a substitute sacrifice, giving us a whole other wonderful picture from the Old Testament of how it is that we are to be saved, a wonderful illustration of Christ, our substitute who dies in our place for us, the sacrifice for us. He gives him him that and Isaac is delivered and God's promises to Abraham would be fulfilled. But we do see, don't we, that the trust had to come first. First. When you think about it, that's what trust really is all about, isn't it? If I have to see for myself before I can believe you, I'm not really trusting you at all, am I? Part of trusting God is relinquishing our control, genuinely placing it all in his hands. But the point here is that when we do that, God does not disappoint us. He might do things very, very differently to what we would have preferred, to what we would have expected, but he does not disappoint us. I go back to what I said before, you know, the older you get, the more you find that life doesn't run as you thought it would. And yet those of you who have lived longer, those of you who have been Christians for a long time, isn't it true that even although life's taken some wonderfully different twists and turns to what you expected and isn't it true that there's been that though there's been so much grief and heartache at different times of life so much that left to yourself you would never have asked for yourself or for those you love isn't it true that God's been faithful throughout just the same of course he has He doesn't disappoint when it comes right down to it. He might do things very, very differently. But he has promised, and we can trust his promises. You know, we quoted those words of Jesus a little earlier from Luke chapter 14. Mark records pretty much those same words. There's a parallel passage in Mark 10, verses 29 to 30. But he adds a little more. He goes on, after all those words about, you know, hating father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children and so on, he goes on to say, "'Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house "'or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife "'or children or lands for my sake and the gospels "'who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. "'Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands,' with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, Jesus says those who do trust his word, those who will give up everything to obey him, will receive a hundredfold now in this time. He adds, it won't be unalloyed joy. It will be with persecutions. There will be trials. Testings and troubles will be a reality. This is the Christian life. Nevertheless, the promise is there that for those who truly obey, that reward, that blessing will also be a reality. Those who trust in Christ and follow even when it hurts will find that there is blessing in obedience. As far as I know, Joanne Shetland never did get her. Farmhouse, or her nursing career or her family of her own. She did get to see God's word at work in the hearts of hundreds of the Balangal tribe where she worked. She did get to see the New Testament printed in their own language and being used in the many churches that sprang up in the Balangal region. And she says at the very end of her book, she says... I've never quite figured out how to bring God glory. But I have learned to surrender my dreams to him and he has made the reality of living according to his plan even better than my greatest dreams. We do have to trust God. The path's not always clear. But those who do trust will not be disappointed any more than Abraham was. Well, one more thing that the writer of Hebrew highlights about Abraham's faith. I said that our last point would be Abraham's waiting. And that's there in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. A little later, the same theme is there, verses 13 to 16. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob being strangers and pilgrims on the earth, just passing through, seeking a homeland, not the country from which they'd come. They could have gone back to that if they wanted, but not that place from which they'd come. They seek a homeland, a better, that is, a heavenly country. In in other words, Abraham's hope was not ultimately in this world. Yes, he longed to see God's promises to his descendants fulfilled, but his real interest was in something even greater than that. Abraham was content to go through the rest of his life in this world as a stranger, as a pilgrim, as someone just passing through, someone who didn't really belong... He was content with that because he was looking for something better. He was looking for a heavenly home. He knew that the greatest, the ultimate blessings of faith are not to be found in this life, but in that eternal life which is to come. And he was content ultimately to wait for that. To wait for, as it says, the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The heavenly city that is firmly and permanently established. The heavenly city which is the inheritance of all who share Abraham's faith. He was content to wait for that. And, and that's our final lesson from Abraham for us today. We're to regard our time in this life as a pilgrimage. As passing through, getting from one place to another better place, a place that, which is where we really want to get to. Pilgrim's Progress, that wonderful book of John Bunyan's, you know, that's what it's all about. You're going somewhere, you haven't yet arrived. This life is about the journey, not about. It's, it's not itself the destination. That's the way it ought to be for us as followers of Christ. That's the perspective that we need to keep on mind. But it's easy to lose, isn't it? It's easy to lose sight of that perspective. Our constant tendency is to want to make our home in this world to to be comfortable, to be settled now, to be at home now, to belong now. We long for those things and we are inclined to seek after those things. But if you're in Christ, your true home is not here. It's not here. In a very real sense, we're to be like Abraham, strangers, tent dwellers, pilgrims. We are all about moving forwards towards our true homeland, our heavenly homeland. That's the perspective that always ought to be ours. And so I want to close by just asking you, where's your home? Where's your home? What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? Where is it that you feel you belong. What are all your dreams, all your hopes, all your aspirations tied up with? Is it this world? Are all your hopes and dreams and aspirations all about this world? Is that where you seek your fulfillment? Is it this world that's what it's all about for you? Or can you say, well, actually, no, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm just passing through on my way to my true home. My greatest hopes, my greatest dreams, my greatest aspirations, they're all tied up with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his kingdom. He's the one in whom all my hopes rest. He's the one in whom I find all my ultimate joy. He's the one without, which, without whom life is empty and ultimately meaningless. He's the one that it's all about. Without him I've got nothing. With him I've got everything. With him I have purpose, with him I have joy, with him I have the confidence of eternal life and an eternal home. That's what I'm waiting for. And that's what I have now. I'm waiting to see the ultimate fulfillment, but I have him now. And he is all those things to me now. And so I am perfectly content to wait for the ultimate fulfillment of all of those things because I have Christ now. And that's enough. That is more than enough. That's everything. He's everything. Where is your home? Who is your home? By faith, Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he obeyed God, even in the most difficult of all his many trials. By faith, he trusted that God would certainly fulfill his promises and prove to his great joy that that trust was not misplaced. And by faith, he waited for the final reward for the heavenly city that God has promised to all who are his. Are you seeking that heavenly city? Do you share Abraham's faith? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the example of Abraham who points us in so many ways to you We thank you for his ability to go out not knowing where he was going, for his obedience even in the most difficult of circumstances, for his complete trust in you, for his knowledge that he was waiting for something better. And we pray that you would give us that same faith that he who in a very real sense is a father figure of faith had. We pray that you would cause us to truly be trusting in you for all things and we look forward to that great day when Christ will return, when all who are yours will be with him forever and ever in glory. We look forward to that day. We thank you for the confidence that we can have that if we are in Christ, that is ours. We pray that each of us may be able to say that with all our hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.